Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, only you can steal. My soul is this morning. Lord, I am glad to come into your presence again this morning. Scripture says that this is the day that the Lord has made. Father, you will cause us to rejoice and be glad in today. And so, Father, we say thank you for the blessings of today, for the goodness of today, for the love of today, for the life poured out afresh upon us today. Father, we are grateful for the faithfulness. O oh God, today, every single blessing we will encounter. Father, we say be glorified, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, because you are the keeper of covenants. Thank you, Lord, because you are the God of the entire universe. You are the maker of all things, Lord. We worship and give you all the praise and glory in the precious name of Jesus. You are the one who is I am. You are the one who is almighty. Yes, Lord, you are sufficient, sufficient for all things. Be glorified, precious Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, as we spend this time in your presence to read the word again, we ask, Lord, speak to us once again. Help us hear you, hear you as we read our Bibles and cause your name to be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, let me say a big welcome to everyone joining in to devotion this morning. I am Morphy Eyenike. We continue reading our Bibles. A big thank you to everyone joining in this morning. I hope you're doing well. Yesterday, we stopped on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. God has put each part, each part, talking about the body of Christ, each one of us, each part, and God has put them exactly where he wants it. Okay, so let's read this morning and finish the book of First, First Corinthians. It says, how strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. Remember that this body that it has been describing sins is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. The Jews cannot tell us that we are not a part of the body. That's exact, essentially what he is saying. He says, yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye cannot, can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand, the head, can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem, seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Hmm? The most necessary, 23, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest honor, with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put 
the body, remember, it is talking about the body of Christ, not the human body. It's talking about the body of Christ. Since while the, it says, so God has put the body together such that extra honor and care and are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members. That's the body of Christ. So it makes for harmony among the members so, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are all the parts are glad. 27. All of you together are Christ's body. Did you see that? All of us together. And that's why I'm very always very reluctant, you know, to exclude some people from the body. Just like the hand is different from the head. Different, okay? In structure, in everything, you will see some Christians, and you'll be wondering, are these ones, are these ones really part of the body? But remember, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church: first, our apostles; second, our prophets; third, our teachers; then those who do miracles, those who have the gifts of healing, those who can help others those who have the gift of leading those who speak in unknown in unknown languages are we all apostles are we all prophets are we all teachers do we all have the the power to do miracles do we all have the gifts the gift of healing do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages of course not so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all so what paul described there are the various the different ministry gifts okay that god has given the body of christ all right let's move on to first corinthians 13 love is the greatest if i could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gifts of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plan and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to be to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So essentially, what Paul is saying there, you can give and not love, but you can't love and not give. Hmm? You can give and not really love people, but you can't love, love them without giving to them. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstances. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. 
but love will last forever and that's why love is what we will, will will help us the gift that will be with us when we stand at the judgment seat it is prophecy and speaking in, in unknown language and special knowledge will become useless but love will last forever now verse 9 our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture but when the time of perfection comes these partial things will become useless when i was a child i spoke and taught and reasoned as a child but when i grew up i put away childish things now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror but then we will see everything with perfect clarity all that i know now is partial and incomplete the apostle paul said that all he knew at that point was at best partial and incomplete the one who wrote and remember at this time he was already writing some part of the bible he said it was incomplete so how can you be so sure and arrogant and confident that you know all things that you know all things remember you are only a part of the body and god will not give you all knowledge and so you are all knowing only God is all-knowing. He says, all that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely. When we stand before God, oh, yes, we will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. 13. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Hallelujah. All right, let's move to our next and next chapter, First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter fourteen. The greatest, the greatest of these is love. In other words, love will last us forever, for eternity. When we stand at the judgment seat, love will be there for us. In fact, if there is one thing God will ask for us, from us at the judgment seat, it is love. Did you visit me? It is love. Did you give me? It is love. Always remember that. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, tongues and prophecies. And this one is very important because I see most Christians, you know, struggle when it comes to tongues and prophecy and how to use them. The lesson here is to distinguish between private use and public use. That's how, that's, that's how to understand the chapter. When I am using tongues and prophecy privately, and I am using it openly as for, for a ministration, for example, or using it openly to edify other people. Tongues and prophecy, verse from verse 1, let love be your highest goal. Hmm? But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Paul says this ability is the one that should be most prominent in our midst too for if you if you have the ability to speak in tongues you will be talking only to god since people won't be able to understand you you will be speaking by the power of the spirit but it will all be mysterious hmm? but one who prophesies strengthens others encourages them and comforts them a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally hmm? But one who speaks a word of prophecy is uh, a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. 
Here he is distinguishing and telling us the importance between speaking in tongues. Remember, speaking in tongues for public ministry, not for personal, even for personal ministry. Even for if you even if you are speaking in tongues publicly, okay, there's a level of speaking in tongues that is that. And there is the level of tongues that you are speaking on your own. Paul says, look, prophecy, which is speaking publicly, okay? Here, the prophecy is referring to a word of prophecy. He's referring to is the one giving publicly. He's saying that, look, that is by far better. A person who speaks in, in tongue is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy for public ministry. Okay? That is what he is saying. I wish you could all speak in tongues. For private, okay, privately, of course, we should all speak in tongues. It doesn't mean if we don't have the gift of tongues, we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, but it is an advantage, an advantage every child of God should take. You have already seen the benefits, right? <laughs> when you are speaking in tongues. He says, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. So he's talking about speaking in tongues for public ministry. You just stand up on the stage and then you are speaking in tongues and everybody is looking and wondering they don't understand you six dear brothers and sisters if i should come to you speaking in an unknown language how would that help you but if i bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching that would that would be helpful even lifeless instrument like the flute or or the app must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody and if the burglar doesn't sound doesn't sound a clear call how will the soldiers, the soldiers know they are being called to, bat, to battle? It's, it's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking into empty air, empty space. Then, there are many different languages in the world and every language has meaning. Every language has meaning. But if I don't understand the language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it. And the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have the special ability the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the old church. They were eager, okay, to have these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, the one for public ministry. Paul says, look, seek Trust God for the one that will strengthen the old church. So anyone who speaks in, in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but, my, but I don't understand what I am saying. Well then, what should I do? I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray in the words of I, un, I understand. In other words, I will interpret. I will sing in the spirit I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. In other words, you are doing it well, 
but the people hearing you, you know, it's not beneficial to them. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Mm-hmm. You see that? <laughs> I speak in tongues. So Paul is not against speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues more than any of you. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, 20, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures. I will speak to my own people uh, through through strange languages and through the lips the lips of foreigners but even then they will not listen to me says the lord isaiah chapter 28 verse 11 and 12 22 so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers but for unbelievers prophecy however is for the benefit of believers not unbelievers even so if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language that's for public ministry eh? he says they would think you are crazy they would think you are crazy all of you you are crazy what is all that one they would think all of you are crazy 24. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. Hmm? Very important. Next, a call to orderly worship. This is about orderly worship. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. That is the yardstick. It must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent. They can be speaking in tongues by the, on their own, but for public ministry, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. Did you see that? We are supposed to evaluate evaluate what is said. We are not supposed to just accept hook, line, and sinker and say, okay, ah, it is the man of God that is talking. No. We are supposed to evaluate what is said and judge it by the Spirit. 30. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. He must stop. In this way, all who prophesy, verse 31, will have a turn to speak one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. So don't come here and say, the spirit is moving me. The spirit is moving me. I have no control. No. It says everyone, you know, remember that, that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace 
and in all the meetings of God's holy people. 34. Women should be silent during the church meetings. And this one has caused a lot of a lot of rancor in, in churches. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. If they have any question, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church in church meetings. Now, the question to ask yourself, is every woman married? No, right? <laughs> Not every woman is married. Okay, so it means that he is referring to something else here. Because there are women who are not married. So what will, what will happen to those women? Okay, so what Paul is referring to here, there was a time, of course, for them coming out of the Jewish, Jewish culture. Men sit on one side, women sit on one side. Okay, just that is the, that was the law. And so they kept the law. Now that they were born again, and Paul was saying all of that do not matter. Husband and husbands were now able to sit with their wives. And when they are in meetings, you know, some wives will be asking questions of their husbands or talking loud during the meetings. And Paul is saying that no, no, no. If that should take place, please go home and go and do your questioning at home and not distract the meeting. In other words, what Paul is talking about here. Remember, I said it's a call to orderly worship. What Paul is talking about here is orderly worship. Paul is not saying that women should should not teach and women and that it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. No. If that were the case, Paul himself would be an hypocrite. Check his entourage. He will soon close this, this book and then you will see the women who follow him that were teachers. Eh? 36. Or do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the one, the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself would not be recognized. 39. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. But be sure that everything is done properly and in order. In other words, the focus of the entire chapter is doing things, doing things orderly. All right, so let's move on to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this one, it's a bit, a bit challenging and long. Um, I'm not sure we can finish, we can finish 1 Corinthians today. But let's see how far we'll go. The resurrection of Christ. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You before before you welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. If you continue believing, you stop believing in it. You are losing your faith, unless of course you believe something that was never true in the first place. Verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. That is the good news. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture say, said, he, has, he was seen of Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. 
Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Then, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. We preach the same message we, you have already believed. You already saw the message, okay? Christ died. Now, let's look at the resurrection of the dead. He said, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised, raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the, from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Hmm? You see that? So you have to be careful of those who bring that heresy that there is no resurrection of the dead because it, thought it completely destroys the, the Christian faith. 18. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. We have put all our hope in Christ and you are telling us there is nothing after here. It says, we, it says we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. You see that? He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. It has begun. The resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone died because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Hmm? We will receive our resurrected body when Christ comes back. Our spirit currently, when a believer dies, goes to the Father. But when Christ returns, we will come back with him and receive our resurrected body. 24. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. In other words, you cannot destroy death before his time. There is a time for him to be destroyed. 27, for the scripture says, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then, when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. 
29 if the dead will not be raised what point is there in people being baptized for those who are dead why do why do it unless the dead will someday rise again and why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour for i swear dear brothers and sisters that i face death daily this is as certain as my pride this is as certain as my pride in what christ jesus our lord has done in you and what value was there in fighting wild beasts those people of ephesus if there will be no resurrection from the dead and if there is no resurrection let's let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. In other words, you can't know God and want to live a life of sin. That's what Paul is essentially saying. Let's look at the resurrected, the resurrection body. This is the one we will receive when Christ returns. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of body will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you, you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh, one kind for humans, another for animals, another for for birds, and another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars have the moon and stars each have another another kind, and even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. 47. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from the heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. Yes, like Christ. What am I saying, dear brothers and sisters? Is what, I'm, what I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever. 
and and we who are living will also be transformed this is the day what we call the day of rapture okay but this is the day jesus comes again for our dying bodies will be transformed into bodies that will never die our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die this scripture will be fulfilled death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting for sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power but thank god it gives us victory over sin and death through our lord jesus christ so my dear brothers and sisters be strong and immovable always walk enthusiastically for the lord for you know that nothing you do for the lord is ever useless nothing you do for the lord is ever useless hallelujah all right so i am thinking we should stop here we have first corinthians chapter 16 to go we will not be able to finish it they are paul's final greetings so tomorrow we take paul's final greetings and then we start second um, corinthians hallelujah all right so what are the lessons we've learned today paul covers covers quite a lot the resurrection for example i have shared this again and again there will be there will be two two moments in time where where we are changed there are two second coming of christ there is a first one when the trumpet was sound and and those of us who who are dead in christ will be in the in the sense raptured i'm using the word rapture because it is not the the rapture as we understand it there's nothing as the day of rapture there's nothing like that actually it is the day of Jesus' coming. Okay, let's use that word. I think that word better de- describes it. When Jesus comes to receive his church. Okay, so that day, one, I said one of the days will come suddenly. The other one, when it comes, everyone will see it. Everyone will see Jesus coming. Oh, he's coming in the clouds. It will be beautiful. And I'm praying that you will not miss that day. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that you will be complete in Christ. In the name of Jesus, on the day we stand before him, you will not be ashamed. I will not be ashamed. In the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we say thank you this morning. Help us to stand complete in all your grace. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Enjoy your day.